I want to tell you a little bit, uh, just want to tell you some stories, talk to you a bit about missions itself. Uh, missions, basically, missionaries are, are people that uh, take the gospel and plant the church where the church doesn't exist and the gospel is not. That's basically what a missionary does. And people say, you know, um, you go to a place like, why are you going to a place like Istanbul? You know, there's lost people right here in Louisville. And that's true. I mean, lost is lost. You can't be more lost than somebody else. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're not following him, you're lost. And it doesn't matter if you're in Louisville or Timbuktu, which is an actual place, by the way, uh, or Istanbul or Kyrgyzstan or wherever you are in the world, lost is lost. But there are some people who are so lost because they have no access to the gospel. They have no friends to tell them about the gospel. There's no radio stations uh, broadcasting you know, advertisements for churches because there's no churches. Uh, there's no friends who know Christ that can invite them uh, to church. There's no Bible that's in their language. Um, so although lost is lost, the job of a missionary is basically to take the gospel where it doesn't exist, and a lot of time, most of the time, that means learning the language, getting into the culture, connecting with people, and just sharing the gospel. I want to tell you some stories about that, but first I also want to talk to you a bit about where we serve and the kind of place we serve in. Because although we live in Turkey, we actually oversee church planting. Like I said, that's what missionaries do. We, we oversee uh, you know, evangelism and discipleship and church planting in 10 countries. And uh, those 10 countries are Iran, Turkey, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Azerbaijan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan. Can you all say that now? Can you remember that? Can you remember seven stands of John and I ran from Turkey? So I'm the, you know, if it's like got Stan in the name, that's one of the, it's one of the countries that we oversee. And we're supposed to do church planning in these countries, and there's about a half billion people in these 10 countries. But 97% of them are like those people I mentioned earlier with no near gospel witness, no churches, no believers to speak of, unreached, no access to the gospel. But beyond that, you, you have to break them up not just into people or countries, but into the, these ethno-linguistic people groups because they speak different languages, they have different countries, and there's actually about 800 different groups of people, 827 to be exact, and almost 50 of those are more than a million people. So it's not like they're hiding somewhere. These are people who are completely lost, and, uh, and there's nobody there to tell them. You add that on top of that, as I, I mentioned places like Turkey, like Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Now, Pakistan, just this morning, I got word that there was a church in uh, Quetta, Pakistan, that was just bombed. So there's a suicide bomber, went into the church, blew himself up, and killed a number of people. However many people they say it's gonna, the death toll is going to rise. Well, that's hostility towards the gospel. There, there is no other place in the world that I'm familiar with that is more hostile to the gospel than many of these countries. So you look at that and you say, wow, you're supposed to do church planning in those countries? That must be really hard. And I respond to that and say, actually, it's not hard at all. It's impossible. But with God, and this is what Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. And then if you read in the book of Philippians, the uh, apostle Paul said that... Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
But I know, having shared with people before and having talked in, in, in venues like this before, although this, I think, is only the second theater I've actually uh, shared in, so that's pretty cool. You don't ever have to worry about setting up a projection screen, which, you know, makes things a lot easier. But it's easy to, no to note that there are people who, who they, they think about, you know, Afghanistan and Pakistan and places like that, and you say, wow, there's like millions of people, hundreds of millions of people in these hard-to-reach places. And there's lands where there's not even one no known believer, and there are geographic, huge geographic areas in these 10 countries that has never in 2,000 years had even one follower of Christ in it. Not even once. And I don't know if that's worse or if it's worse that you go to places like Ephesus that you read about all through the book of Acts and all through the New Testament. You read about these churches and a lot of them were in these countries like Turkey. But you go there now, and there's no trace of the church anymore. In a, in a country of 85 million people, there are maybe three or 4,000 believers. So it's easy to look at that and to get discouraged and to say it's impossible and to say, hey, what can God do there? But, um, and I actually, I used to, uh, I used to think that way. I, I used to not, not necessarily think it was impossible, but I used to preach about all the challenges. I used to say, oh, you know, here's what we've got to do, and there's all these people that don't know Jesus, and it's going to be hard. And then I come to this verse in the Bible in Revelation 7, 9, and it says that after this I looked, and this is, this is John who followed Jesus, and he said, after this I looked, and he's an old man given this revelation, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And I had thought to myself after reading that, wow, at the end of time, standing before the throne, worshiping Jesus Christ, is going to be this huge multitude of people, including every one of those 827 unreached people groups that I mentioned earlier. There's going to be Afghanis, Iranians, there's going to be Uzbekis and Tajiks, there's going to be Kyrgyz and Kazakhs, all of these people who are not serving God now, there's going to be representatives of them standing before the throne worshiping God. And I, I, I really, the Lord kind of dealt with me because I was preaching and sharing about the challenges and how hard it was going to be. And the Lord took me aside one day and spoke to me and he said, you know, Ed, um, it sounds to me, in talking about how hard things are going to be, it sounds to me like you don't actually believe that I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. You don't believe the church is going to be there when I say it's going to be there. So you need to do one of two things. You, you either need to stop preaching or you need to get some faith. So, you know, I got some faith. God, um, God kind of dealt with me and it's not, it's not really fun sometimes when God corrects you. But we need that correction sometimes. Um, but it's our challenge to look at that. And you, you, you see verses like I just talked about in Revelation 7, 9, where every tribe, tongue, people, language, they're all going to be worshiping before the throne. But how's that going to happen? You know, we, we read in Matthew 28, 18, it says, go into all the world and make disciples. But who's going to go to someplace like Pakistan and Afghanistan? 
Or you read in Matthew 9.37 where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, man, the harvest is plentiful, meaning there's lots of people out there ready to be saved, but I, I look at the fields and I don't necessarily see a harvest field. What I see is a barren field. So you look at all that and you, and you bring it back and you say, why is that? We have this reality that's painted in the gospel and in the Bible, and then the reality that we tend to see over here, and the two don't necessarily match. Why? What's the problem? Well, can I tell you, and this applies both here in Louisville as well as around the world, one of the issues is that we tend to think there are some people who get to hear the gospel and some people who don't get to hear the gospel. Some people who are ready to receive and some people who are not. And as we share with, as we're walking down the street, I mean, you've got you've to put yourself in this spot. When we're walking down the street, and if you see a woman who's covered and is clearly Islamic, you're going to think to yourself, wow, I can't share the gospel with them because they're just going to get upset. But you know what? I'm here to tell you, we don't get to judge who gets to hear the gospel because you're going to hear in just a second that people are responding to the gospel whether we think they're going to respond or not. We think that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of us think that it, predominantly Muslim area that we serve in, almost, you know, probably 97, 98% of the, of, of the people in these countries are Muslim. And, um, uh, you know, we, we tend to think here in America, especially, that Muslims have some kind of force field around them that, that the Holy Spirit can't get through. But that's not true. The same Holy Spirit that led you to the Lord is the same Holy Spirit that's leading them to the Lord. But a few things have to happen in order for God to do the impossible. God can do the impossible, but He looks at us and He expects us to partner with Him in that. The whole point of missions is not that God gets to go and preach or send His angels to preach. He sends us. And He wants to, us to participate in that. Whether we go, whether we send, there are things that each one of us can do, but there's a few things that we have to do if we want to participate in the mission of God. Do you want God to use you to do the impossible? Yes? It's okay to talk to me. I mean, I'm not like, I'm not actually projected on the screen. And if you actually, here's the cool thing. If you've ever gone to a movie theater and you've gone into a really urban environment that's hugely mixed ethnically, it's great. Do that sometime because there is all kinds of talking at the movie. You know, they're yelling at the screen and stuff like that. So pretend it's that kind of audience and you can talk back to me. It's all right. Um, but um, God wants us to, do the to use us to do the impossible. And the first thing that we have to do for God to use us is we have to begin to see things through God's eyes. We have to change our point of view. Um, Jesus wants us to see things through his eyes. He talked to his, uh, his disciples one time, and they were, he, was, he, was sharing, uh, he was sharing the gospel and who he was with a Samaritan woman, and the disciples came by and they said, man, what are you doing? Like, she's not, she's not like one of us. She's not going to respond to you. And he said, guys, open your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. I mean, there's, there's, she's going to respond. And not only did she respond, but she brought the whole village to him. She was basically the first missionary. Um, when we see things through, begin through, to see things through God's eyes, our perspectives change. There was a, um, tell you a story about that. There was some Syrian men. Now, there's a lot of Syrians. There's millions of Syrians in Turkey. Some of them 
like uh, I'd say a few hundred thousand of them are like native to Turkey. But the vast majority of them have fled from Syria up into Turkey because of the civil war that's happening right now. And, you know, tens of thousands and who knows how many have been killed. Hundreds of thousands more have been, uh, you know, have been displaced within the country and millions upon millions have fled the country and a, lot, a good percentage of those are in Turkey. And so we have some missionaries who ran into some of these Syrian guys and they happened to speak enough Turkish and English mix where they were starting to share the gospel with them. And as they began to share the gospel with them, they started to respond. So they said, hey, can we get together and talk to you more about this? And they, the Syrian guys said, sure. So they started, you know, communicating. Sometimes it was WhatsApping back and forth and sometimes it was like face to face. But after a period of only a few weeks, you know, then they, get, they had said, hey, do you want a Bible so that you can read for yourself who Jesus is? And they said, sure, you, you can give us a Bible. They gave them a Bible in Arabic because that's their native language, and they began to read it. And just a few weeks ago, they sent a text message to the missionary, a young guy who'd been sharing with them, and he said, they said, hey... Um, you know, we really like what's in this Bible and we want to we be followers of Jesus. And so they got to, yeah, it's great. So they got together and they prayed with him. And these three Syrian guys got saved and they're being discipled right now, even though their whole lives they've been Muslim. But guess why their eyes have been opened? Because guess who's killing all the Syrians in Syria? It's not Christians. It's other Muslims. And so they look at that and they go, man, what kind of God do I serve? So when someone comes and tells them about Jesus and says, you know, there's a God who's a God of love and mercy and forgiveness, they go, wow, I want to hear about that. Tell me more about that. And they're open to receive it. There's, there's a guy by the name of Denise who's like that. He's a Turkish kid, um, and he was 15 years old. And he came to Christ. Some of our missionaries were sharing uh, the gospel with him. I mean, we don't generally uh, like to share with teenagers because we want the whole family involved. But Denise was not to be put off. So he, he basically, um, he, you know, he, he just bothered the missionaries until they, were, you know, they would share the gospel with him. And so they did. And then he became a follower of Jesus. And so he would come back and he would get discipled um, and... Um, and one of the, you know, he's only been serving the Lord for a couple of weeks. And, and one of the times he came to where the, the missionary was, uh, it's where they engage other people. It's kind of an outreach place. So they were engaging this guy who was in his 60s and an atheist. And he had been a couple of times and he just came to argue. He, you know, even though he was an atheist, he was like, you know, this Jesus isn't real and he's not who you say he is. And, and he's just the prophet or he's nobody. He's this historical figure. And so Denise is sitting there patiently waiting and listening to this guy in his 60s explain why the missionaries are so wrong. And then finally Denise had enough and he stood up and he said, hey, listen, man, I got to tell you something. Jesus is real because this is who he is and this is what he's done in my life. And now I'm serving him and you need to serve him too. And he began to explain to him who Jesus really was and what he'd done in his own life. And this man in his 60s who'd been an atheist for decades decided to follow Jesus because of this 15-year-old boy who had his eyes open, and they got baptized together. And then a few weeks later, they both got filled with the Holy Spirit together. It's, it's just the kind of thing that happens when God opens your eyes. There's another guy, um, I will call him Ali, it's not his real name, but Ali is a Turkman. 
and he ran across these missionaries basically on the street. They were sharing the gospel, looking, because they spoke Turkmen, uh, the language is called uh, Turkmenji. So they, they spoke his language, and they, saw, they recognized he was, uh, he was from Turkmenistan. And so they began engaging him, and they started talking to him. They said, hey, would you like to learn more about the gospel? And he said, you know what, this sounds really interesting. I would like to learn more about it. I've got to go. I'm on my way. Why don't you come to where I work in a couple of days and I'll, you know, and I'll, I'll get on a break. I'll get permission from my boss to get on a break and you, we can talk then. So they did. They set it up, exchanged phone numbers, went to the restaurant where he was a dishwasher. And the, uh, the guys who owned the restaurant, the, the missionaries came in and they realized pretty quickly that the guys who owned and ran the restaurant were these really conservative, observant Muslims with the, you know, the square beards and the prayer caps and the, and the robes and everything. And he was, they, he was like a little bit nervous, but they sat down at the table and out comes Ali and they started talking with Ali about the gospel. They didn't get very too far into it and Ali says, wait, 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 I got, I got a question. He said, I don't understand something. He said, if Jesus is the Son of God, it's the only way to get to God, you know, He's the way, the truth, and the life, like you say, then why did God send Muhammad? And they were like, oh, well, um, we don't believe that God did send Muhammad. And so Ali thought for a moment, and he said, um, so you're saying it's a lie. Islam is all a lie. And now the missionary said, you know, telling the story to me later, they said, you know, that wasn't exactly the direction we wanted the conversation to go. Um, but being asked so directly a question, we, need, we decided we needed to answer very directly. And so they said, yes, Islam is a lie. Well, Ali later said that moment, he, he went back to that moment, he said, that was the moment that I realized I needed to become a follower of Jesus. And he got saved, he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he got baptized, and he's leading others to Christ. And uh, he's, he's actually started uh, churches himself. So this is what God does when he opens our eyes. When we begin to see things, he changes our perspective. He changes it, it from our, us looking at the world one way into looking at the world the other way. And you know what? When we change the perspective of, of the world and we start looking at the world through God's eyes we realize that the way we've been looking at the world our whole lives has been wrong. We think that, 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 that uh, looking at the, at the world through Christ's eyes and Christian's eyes is upside down, but really we realize that we've been upside down our whole lives and now things are right side up and actually makes sense. And that's what happens. We do things, the second thing we have to do, so first thing is we have to ask God to change um, uh, to change our perspective. The second thing is we have to give what we have. And it could be, you know, there's one thing that we have, all of us have, that God wants desperately. And that is all of us. He wants us to give ourselves to Him. Whatever we have, and then He gives back to us what He, he wants us to keep. Um, we do that like on, on the field. When we share Christ, we just, you know, there, there are missionaries out there who, who don't have, like they're new on the field, they don't have the language, they don't, they're just learning, and we still tell them, listen, just use what you have. You might have only this much language, but get out there and start sharing what you can with who you can. And there was this group of missionaries that uh, the only uh, person who could even understand them a little was the person who was helping them to learn the language they were learning. 
And so they started stumbling through some gospel presentations because their language helper was interested. And uh, she finally became a follower of Christ after, you know, they connected her with somebody who spoke the language better than they did. But she became a follower of Christ through these guys. And within one month, she had led three other people that she didn't even know to the Lord. She just ran into them, started sharing the gospel, what Jesus had done in her life. And she uh, led them to the Lord. And then she led her mom to the Lord, who's a woman in her 70s. And she led her mom to the Lord, who was kind of the matriarch of the family. And then the whole family was up in arms and got upset because they had left Islam and become Christians. And, one, and they were very angry with, with both this uh, teacher and with her mom and with the other family members that they had both led to the Lord. And then one day, their, uh, the mom's father, who's 93 years old, was sick, and they were afraid he was going to die. So the whole family gets together, and the mom's name is Fatima. And Fatima says, I'm going to pray for Dad in Jesus' name. And they were like, no, no, you can't do that. She said, just, I, just leave me alone. I'm not asking your permission. I'm just telling you that's what I'm going to do. So you can stay, you can go, but I'm praying for Dad. And so she went to his room, and he couldn't speak, but she laid his ha her hands on him, and she prayed for about a half hour solid. And at the end of that half hour, she comes out, and the father's just weeping. He's crying. And the family is just besides themselves. They're like, what did you do? You brought the evil spirits. You know, you know, you're praying not in the name of Allah. You're praying in the name of Jesus. And now it's made dad upset, and the spirits are on him, and this is bad. And she said, just shut up. She turns to her father. She says, Dad, what's wrong? And he said, I'm 93 years old. I've been a Muslim my whole life. I prayed every day. I've done everything a Muslim's supposed to do. And I'm sitting, laying here sick in my bed. And God doesn't hear me. He doesn't answer me. He said, but you pray for me one time in the name of Jesus. And I'm healed. I want to be a follower of Jesus at 93 you give what you have. You give what you have. And the last thing that we have to do is we have to, um, we have to allow God to work the miracle. And God will work the miracle. Um, I want to wrap up here with one more story. How, what time do we have to end here? Okay. God can do it. You know, we have a dream. Um, and it's, it's a dream based in scriptural reality that God is going to plant churches throughout, using us throughout these 10 countries. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because it's happened before. You look in the book of Acts. It's happened before. It's happened through history. It's happening right now. It's just that we don't, we don't have that perspective. We can't see it because our eyes and our hearts are closed to it. But we believe that we're, there's going to be a time when we can look at Central Eurasia, which is what we call these 10 countries, we're going to look at Central Eurasia and we're going to say, that's the former Muslim world. That's where the power of Islam was before Christ broke it, because Christ said, I will plant my church. How's he going to do that? How's he going to, how are there going to be hundreds of thousands of churches where there are hardly any churches now? Well, it's the same way it happened in the book of Acts. What happens is, as you share the gospel with people, you also teach them what? Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, he said, teaching them to obey. So you teach the people who come to Christ to obey and become followers of Christ themselves. And part of that is sharing the gospel with other people. 
And that just spreads, and it multiplies, and the churches multiply. And pretty soon, you've got the church in just 10 years. The Apostle Paul went out on a missionary journey. He only went out three different times for a few years uh, total. And, um, and pretty much, he said, now I've got to go to Spain because the whole area that I've been is reached with the gospel. doesn't mean that everybody was saved. What it meant was the churches that he planted, he knew would plant other churches. It would multiply. And guess what? He was right. We're all sitting here today in this church because of the work that Jesus did and the work that the Apostle Paul and others did in planting the church that planted churches that planted churches. I'll, tell, I'll give you an example of how this works. A missionary woman in a country that I won't name, a single woman, had a driver because she had to have a driver because she's a single woman in a, in a strongly Islamic country. So he was kind of her protection, her covering, and she, could, she kind of sat in the back seat. He'd sit in the front seat and drive. She said, great, captive audience. I can share the gospel with him whenever I'm in the car. And she did. And she's paying a salary, so what's he going to do? Quit? So he's just polite, and they're very polite, and he's nice, and he just, you know, patiently, you know, just drives and listens and doesn't say too much. He's a very kind, sweet, sweet man. We met, we've met him before, and uh, a few times. And he, uh, he eventually, though, over a couple years, whenever there was a problem in his family, she said, well, let's pray for that problem. And then God would do something about it. God would, did miracles. God did healings in his family. And finally, after a couple years, he says, like, wow, there's something to this. So he becomes a follower of Jesus. Well, then, uh, he be, you know, you have to get disciples, so she starts discipling him. And uh, one of the, the way that he, she disciples him is she says, okay, so, so what is Jesus telling you to be obedient to? They would go through scriptures, and as they read the scripture, they would say, okay, so let's read this passage together. Is there something in here that's for you to obey? And he says, well, in this passage, it looks like I'm supposed to tell others about the hope that's in me. In other words, I'm supposed to tell other people about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. She said, very good. Who are you supposed to tell? And he said, well, it, it seems to me it's pretty important that I should probably tell my family. She says, very good. Why don't you go home this weekend? Because he lived in a whole different part of the country, and he would only visit them every one or two weeks on the weekends. And he would say, she said, why don't you go home this weekend and share the gospel with your family? And he said, sounds good. Let's do that. So he went back. He shared the gospel with his family, and they all got saved. What I didn't tell you, though, was the part of the country that he lives in, that his family is in, was one of those areas that I told about earlier where there has never been one known believer ever. And now, because this, this single missionary woman badgered him, for two years and shared the gospel on every opportunity, he became a believer, led his family to the Lord, and now there's believers in this area of the country where there never has been before, ever, in 2,000 years. That's a praise God right there. Come on. But there's, but there's more to the story. So he leads his family to the Lord, and his son is one of those who gets saved. Teenager, senior in high school. He's been saved a couple, couple months. He's walking home from school, and a friend of his says, Hey, you know, my sister, my older sister, she's, she's going through it because she's possessed by demons. She's got these evil spirits, plus she's sick. We've called the religious leaders. We've called the witch doctors. We've called the regular doctors. Nobody can do anything. 
And this boy says, hey, why don't you let me come over there? Because we had problems in our family. We prayed in the name of Jesus, and Jesus answered the prayers and healed uh, and, and, and you know, provided miracles. So I'll go pray in the name of Jesus for your sister, and, the, and she'll be delivered by demons and she'll, from demons, and, and she'll be uh, healed. What do you think about that? And his friend said, well, couldn't hurt. So he picks up the phone, says, Dad, here's my friend. Here's what he wants to do. Can he come over and pray for my sister? And the dad said, well, couldn't hurt. So they both go over right that moment, and uh, they bring the daughter out, and she's uh, brought out in a blanket all wrapped up because she's uncontrollable. And she says, and, and he, he explains to the whole family, now keep in mind that this is a teenage boy who's been serving Christ for two months. And he explains to the whole family who Jesus is, what he's going to do, that he is going to heal her. Not like, if the Lord should, he's like, no, when I do this, and then she's going to be delivered, and this is what's going to happen. And so he prays for her in the name of Jesus, just a short, simple prayer, and then she immediately goes to sleep. Now, she hadn't slept in a long time. And she goes into this really peaceful sleep, and she comes out of this sleep, and you, everybody can tell she's in her right mind. And her father says, wow, praise Allah. And she said, don't even mention Allah in my presence. She said, for years, I've been possessed by demons. We've done everything. We've prayed to Allah. We've had the religious teachers come. We had the rich, witch doctors come. Nobody could do anything. But this boy prays for me in the name of Jesus, and I'm instantly delivered and healed. She said, and then when I went to sleep, Jesus appeared to me in a dream and said, follow me. She said, so I'm now a follower of Jesus. And then she turned to the boy and she said, I don't know what that means. Tell me what that means. <laughs> so the whole family, he explained to the whole family, but this story's not over. Next week, the father of this demon-possessed girl calls the driver and says, you've got to come up to, to the village this weekend. He says, why? He says, well, you know what happened to my daughter? He said, yes. He said, well, so does the whole village. And, you know, they would ask, you know, what happened? And I told them what happened. And so now we've got like 45 people that are coming to my house this Saturday, and they all want to know how to follow Jesus. Can you come up and explain to them what that means? So now you go from one guy to a family to an entire village that's ready to hear about the gospel and following Jesus in a matter of weeks. But wait, the story's not over because then the elders of the village get together, including the father of this girl, including this driver, and including who was formerly, formerly the religious uh, imam of the village, the, the uh, Islamic teacher. And they said, you know, it's not right that we're the only ones in this whole region that know who Jesus is and what he's done. We've got to go tell some other people. So they got together, all three of them, and they go, they're going village to village and sharing the gospel with other people. This is the way it works. This is the way it's happened in the past. This is the way it's happened, uh, it's happening now, and this is what God is going to do in the future. So all we have to do is change our minds, change our perspective, give what we have, and then let God do the miracle because it's going to happen. And we want you to be part of it. Hopefully, do we have time for Q&A, or did I take up all my time? Huh? We don't have time. We don't have time. Darn so, the problem is you give a preacher a mic. It's kind of like if you give a mouse a cookie. Um, 
So here's the thing. We want you to be part of that global harvest. Um, we want you to take part. Philippians says that um, we share whether the people who go and the people who send, they share in the same reward. It's not like missionaries are up on some pedestal somewhere and they get a special crown when they get to heaven. It's not that way. But our field is full of people who just gave what they had. Some have come out and helped us for a week or two. Some have come out and helped us for a month or two. Some have come out and helped us for a year. And some of them have come out for the rest of their lives. But that's not the only way that we can participate in that global harvest. Yes, we want you to come, and I've got some resources out there that will tell you if you want to come, whether it's for a week or two or a year or two, we have resources that tell you how to do that. But not only that, there's things you can do right here. You can do those three things that we talk, I talked about in my message, but you can also, you can pray. You can join a worldwide global prayer movement for these people who are lost and with no access to the gospel. So again, I've got more resources back there that can tell you how to do it. And then you can align yourself with God's will, both here in Louisville, in Jefferson County, in this part of Kentucky, throughout the United States, and then throughout the world. We can all participate to some degree. So if you want to participate, I want you to know there are avenues, there are doors. I want to help you. Grab one of our cards. Give me a call, text me, email me, and we will help you to start down that path.